0: Every year, Collins, the dictionary in the UK, they produce a list of 12 words that they're going to add to the dictionary. 12 words of the year. Does anyone know any of last year, 2017's Word of the Year? Do you reckon anyone can guess? Shout them out if you think you know. It's an interactive sermon, sorry. No one got any clues? No? One of them was Insta, as in everything Instagram. Yeah, one of them was, um, uh, where was it, Fidget Spinner. Those things that people kept spinning around. But the word of the year, the number one word of the year last year, fake news. You've got it. Fake news was the word of the year last year. It's very Twitter friendly, isn't it? Fake news. And the definition of fake news is false, often sensational information disseminated under the guise of news reporting. Now kids, I know that you've, uh, you've just got some colouring in, but I'm going to need some help because before we get into the passage today, I want to test how good you guys are at spotting fake news. So we're going to have a little bit of a quiz, and it's a pretty obvious name of the quiz, but it's real news or fake news. And I need a couple of children from this side of the room to help me because it's going to be one team. I need a couple of children from this side of the hall to help me and be on this team. So any volunteers on this side of the hall? Yep, Come on up. Come on up. What about on this side of the hall, any volunteers who want to come and help me? No, I might have to pick on some big kids. Go on then. You want to be a big kid, do you, Brock? Come on then. Anyone else want to come up on this side and be a, be a helper? Go on. Okay, Brock, Brock, do you want to come up and help this side? Okay, Brock got to be on his own on this side. Okay, your job, your team captains, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show a news story on the screen up here and I'm gonna ask your team if they think that's real news or fake news, and they're gonna shout out real news or fake news, then you've gotta pick the final answer for your team, okay? And then I'll ask this team and you have to do the same thing, okay? You're the captain, you get the final say. Okay, so team one, this is your headline story. A robot becomes head teacher of a school in Wales. Students at primary school in Cardiff have welcomed Robohead as leader of their school. Do you think that is real news? Who thinks that's real news? Not many, okay. Who thinks that's fake news? Okay. What do you reckon, real news or fake news? Well, most of them just fake, so I'm just gonna go with them. You're gonna go with your team, you reckon fake? fake. Fake news, okay. That one is fake news, you're right. It's not real, there is not a robot who's in charge of a school in Wales. Okay, team two. It's your question. Australia moves. Australia is moving further north, which means people using sat navs might struggle to find significant locations. Who reckons that's real news? Yes. Real news. Few real people. News. Who thinks that's fake news? Real news. Fake fake. Fake, fake, fake. Oh, okay. Brock, what do you reckon? It's your choice. Oh, uh, let's go real news. You reckon real news? Let's have a go. That one is. Real news, Australia is migrating an inch or two north each year, so it's actually moving. Okay, question number two for this team. A passenger was allowed on his flight after security confiscated his bomb. A man in Canada was allowed to board a flight after a pipe bomb found in his bag was confiscated by airport security. (laughs) Do you guys reckon that's, who reckons that's real news? One, okay, who reckons that's fake news? Yeah, okay, so what do you guys reckon? Real or fake? Well, I would reckon fake because security cards would probably not allow criminals with bombs to go on planes. So fake? You're going to go fake as well? Probably fake. Fake, okay. That one is actually real news. (laughs) I know, it happened in Canada. Only the Canadians go, ah, it's all right, you can go on with a bomb, no worries. Okay. Question number two for this side: A woman gives birth to a four stone baby. (laughs) Check out the baby who's made way into Guinness Book of World Records with a birth weight of fifty-six pounds. I think every woman in the room is crossing their legs at that point. That sounds very, very painful. Real news or fake news? Real news. Fake Fake news. What do you reckon? Fake. 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 Yeah, we go fake. Yeah, you're right. That one's fake. Which question am I on four? Yeah, that one's fake. That would be something like 25 kilos, so I don't think a baby would ever be born that big. Okay, final question for this side. World's first underwater golf course opens. Are you bored of the same old golf courses and driving ranges? How would you like to tee off at the world's first underground golf range? What do you reckon? Real news? It's a few people. Fake news? Or oh, the split on this one, I think it's up to the captains, real or fake. Do you want to quickly discuss it, see what you reckon? What do you reckon? I don't really know. You don't know. Because most most of the people put up their hand, but to me it seems pretty fake, but I'm on tally too certain about my decision. Okay, so what are you gonna go for? I'm you know for real? Do you reckon real or fake? Um, uh, real. You reckon real? Okay. Unfortunately, that was actually fake. There's no such, sadly, there is no such thing as an underground golf range. That would be quite cool, wouldn't it? Underwater, sorry. Okay, final question for this side. A Humboldt penguin breaks into the family home in Peru. So a family in Peru got shocked after a penguin found its way inside their home, believed to have been on the search for food. Do you reckon that's real news? And all those who think it's fake? See them for real. What do you reckon, Brock? You can go with your team oh, or room them? You can go with the team. With the team? Absolutely right. That is real cool. news. Well done. Thank you to my volunteers. Great helping. Thank you. of applause to my volunteers. Thank you. To the kids and the big kids. Oops. Sorry. Just dropping your microphones. Bounce that there. hopefully what that quiz has shown is that today we have so many options for getting our news don't we we've got social media we've got media anyone can publish stuff and it's really hard to struggle we struggle to work out what's real and what's not real sometimes because some of those sounded like they'd be ridiculous but they're actually real some of them sound like they'd be really good and they're actually fake and today's sermon we're actually looking at that very question what is true Pilate asks that question, doesn't he? In verse 38, he asks the central question to the entire passage. He says, what is truth? And so that's going to be the theme for today. What is truth? And we're going to see there is such a thing as truth. And then we're going to look at four responses to truth uh, that we can have as people. If you want to follow along or make notes, uh, you can write them in the vital info or uh, on your uh, great online system, the uh, info member hub or whatever you call it. It's fantastic, I love that that technology. So let's start with Pilate's question. What is truth? Truth is a major theme that runs through John's Gospel. It's one of the big themes. And it comes to a head in this passage. And so we're going to really quickly look at four things about truth that John's Gospel has spoken about prior to this point to give us some background. Number one, the first thing that John talks about a lot is God is truth. Truth. So quick summary of what he says in chapter 7 verse 28 he says he who sent me is true that's the father is talking about in 14:6 Jesus famously says i am the way the truth and the life so he is the truth and in chapter 14 verse 17 he says that the counselor is the spirit of truth that's the holy spirit so from these and many other things that Jesus says in John's gospel we can see that God in trinity that is the father the son and the holy spirit they are fundamentally truth. It's part of their shared nature. That's quite a complex theological point. So let's just repeat that slowly. We can see from those statements of Jesus that all three persons of the Trinity, all three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they share the same characteristic of being the absolute truth. That is, of being God. So God equals truth. Truth. Number two, Jesus came to testify to the truth, particularly to the truth of God. Jesus says to Pilate in verse 37 of this passage, the whole reason for coming into the world was to show everyone the truth. Take a look at it. It says, in fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. And right back at the start of John's Gospel, we see John saying a similar thing about Jesus when he says in chapter 1, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who's at the Father's side, who has made him known. So Jesus' mission on earth was to make truth known, to make God's character known. So number three, God has revealed this absolute truth to us through his word, both as Jesus and as written down. Because if God's the absolute truth and Jesus' mission was to make God known and to make the truth known, then the things Jesus did and said show us who God is. Those very things show us the truth. And point number four that John makes about truth is that the truth will make us more holy or it will sanctify us and it will set us free. In the chapter just before the one we're looking at today, chapter 17, we see Jesus praying for his disciples and for everyone who will follow, so including us. And he says this, sanctify us by the truth. That's what he's asking for God to do for us. And he refers to God's word as truth. That's in chapter 17, verse 17 onwards. So, Jesus gives us the truth, his word, the reveal of who God is in order to sanctify us, in order to make us more holy, to make us more like him. And then in chapter 8, Jesus promises that if you hold to his teaching, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So there's four things, really quickly, that John teaches about truth. God is the absolute truth, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, absolute truth. Two, Jesus came to make the truth known, that is to show us God's character. Three, God has revealed this absolute truth to us through his word. And four, this truth will make us more holy and it will set us free. So that's a quick summary of what is truth. And I want to spend most of the time this morning focusing on how we respond to that truth, because that's what this passage is mostly about. And we can do that by looking at four separate characters uh, with four different responses. And each one of them shows us a response. So we'll start with Annas and Caiaphas. And these guys, they oppose the truth. Annas and Caiaphas are the two high priests of Israel. They're supposed to be the people who are looking out for the Messiah, who are leading God's people to God. Uh, And so they should be on the lookout for truth. Unfortunately, they're not. And as we see him brought before them in verse 12... And questioned by them, we see a really interesting editorial note by John in verse fourteen, and he says, "Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people." See, Caiaphas and Annas were behind the plot to kill Jesus all along. Instead these men who should have been high priests, who should have been awaiting the long-promised Messiah, who should have been looking out, who should have been pointing people to the Messiah. Instead of that, they are the masterminds of the witch hunt against the true high priest who's now standing in front of them. And they cannot see it. And in fact, worse than not being able to see it, they actively oppose this true high priest. And we see in verse 19, it's his first trial. He's standing before the high priest and they questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And the person doing the questioning here is Annas, the father-in-law, because his opinion was the one that mattered. He was the power behind the throne. And he gets first crack at interrogating Jesus. And you notice what he's most interested in asking him about in that passage? There's a reason for the order of the words. He asks him first about his disciples and then about his teaching. He wasn't interested in whether Jesus was teaching the truth. He was interested in how many followers Jesus had. How much of a threat was Jesus to his power? And he was driven by envy. And friends, I think that's a trap that we can fall into today, maybe not with envy, but we can fall into that trap today as Christians, can't we? Sometimes we think that the pastors of these mega churches who have heaps of likes and comments on the Instagram and Facebook pages and, and youtube channels that somehow we judge them as better than the other pastors that we see around well friends i think we should be judging them by whether they're preaching the truth not by how many likes they have it's nothing to do with how many followers someone has you to judge whether someone's telling you the truth from up the front here that's the mark of a good pastor and that's one of the reasons why I know Russ always encourages you to keep your Bibles open whenever you're listening to a sermon up front so you can check that he is actually preaching you the truth and not leading you astray. And I know he does teach you the truth in a, in a very good way and God uses him in that way. Well, one of my favourite authors is, is my namesake, sort of, Douglas Adams. A uh, few of you probably heard of Douglas Adams. He's most famous. He wrote "The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy." Fantastic book, fantastic trilogy in six parts. Um, he only wrote five, five of them. And uh, he also wrote a brilliant second series, which unfortunately he died after only writing a couple of the, the books. And it's been turned into an American BBC America TV show, some of you may have seen, called "Dirk Gently." It's about a holistic detective agency. And it's a really weird out there series but a lot of his writing was weird and out there. But the point is, one of the features that I love about his writing is that he starts his book, and each chapter starts with a different character in a seemingly completely unrelated place, doing completely unrelated things, and you have no idea what any of them have to do with each other. But over the course of the book, gradually it all becomes clear as the stories become intertwined that they're actually about one thing, and it all comes together at the end of the plot. It's a fascinating writing style. And I think John actually has a really similar writing style in his Gospel. He has a number of big themes that seemingly are unrelated and they kind of keep bobbing along and they come together. And the point at which they all come together that makes the focus of the book is the 24 hours around Jesus being arrested and killed. That makes that the focal point of the book. And that's where we've reached in this passage is the start of that 24 hours when everything comes together. One of those themes is truth. And we just did a quick review of that. Another theme that comes up again and again in John is light and dark. You notice that it keeps coming up over and over and over again. Here's three really quick examples. John 1, right at the beginning in him jesus was life and that life was the light of men the light shines in the darkness but the darkness has not understood it example 2 john 3:19 this is the verdict light has come into the world but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed and probably the most famous one, John 18:12, "I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life." So how does this all come together at this point? Well, what we find in this passage is Jesus in a kangaroo court, in the middle of the night, in the dark. And it's no coincidence that it's in the dark that these evil men are doing evil deeds in this mock trial of the Messiah these religious leaders are not interested in truth, they're not interested in what's fair and just. This is a secret trial with a, with a conclusion that's already been reached before it starts. But in contrast to this darkness and this evil that's going on around him, we see Jesus telling the truth, doing what John has said he'll do, being a light shining in the darkness. He highlights that he's done nothing in secret in verse 20. He requests they show him that he's done anything wrong in Verse 23. He keeps telling them the truth, keeps shining the light in that darkness and then he even gets beaten for it, for telling the truth. That's real opposition to the gospel, isn't it? They weren't just apathetic to it, they were opposed to it, these people. Well, Friends, we may not come across anyone who's quite that opposed to it in Australia but I think we will come into contact with people who oppose the truth, who are actively opposing God. We see our country becoming increasingly hostile to the gospel. What once was a nominally Christian country is now a secular country. And more and more is becoming so as we become a minority group. And our response to this hostility, we've got two choices, don't we? We can either respond in a fear-driven way and we can fight back against it. Or we can respond in a gospel-driven way, in a truth-driven way. Friends, the challenge I'd like to say is that when we do respond, we need to respond as Jesus does in this passage, with grace. By speaking the gospel into the situation, not by fighting, but by doing it in a way that is really winsome for Christ. Just as Greg prayed earlier, that we would be graceful in our representation of Christ when we're talking about him in the world. Because friends, the reason that's important is our friends, our family, our colleagues, our neighbours, even those in our country who push some more radical agendas, quite frankly, anyone who is in opposition to God, what's the thing they need most of all? It's the gospel, isn't it? And that's where we should be taking it, into those dark places. Okay, response two. I won't take that long on every response. Response two is to run away. And that's shown by Peter, probably the most famous response in this passage that we see. And particularly, uh, he's in verse 15 to 18 and then 25 to 27 are the two bits of Peter. And we see Simon, Peter, another disciple, which is probably John, following Jesus. Because John was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. John comes back, spoke to the girl on duty, brings Peter in. And that's when the girl challenges Peter, saying, You're not one of his disciples, are you? And he replies, I am not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing there warming himself. Now only hours before this passage, Peter was standing there with his sword drawn in the garden to defend Jesus and there were hundreds of Roman soldiers facing him and Peter on his own gets out his sword to take them all on. How brave was that in the garden of Peter? Peter. And so often we look at that and we go, that's what I want to be. That's that's the, the way we should defend Jesus. But then we see the same Peter crumbling under the questioning of a single unarmed servant girl. Someone who in those days would have been no threat to anyone. This same Peter who defended Jesus by actually cutting off someone's ear in the garden now denies he has anything to do with Jesus and then the final insult, to rub salt into the wound, Jesus, while Jesus is inside being cross-examined and physically assaulted, Peter goes and warms himself by the fire with those who oppose Jesus. The officials and servants, most of whom would have been in the garden, arresting Jesus. It's so symbolic, isn't it, where Peter chooses to stand. He stands there taking fellowship and communion with Jesus' enemies the people who had arrested him. And then as he stands there and he warms himself with Jesus' enemies by the fire, we see another unnamed questioner come up to Peter and ask him the same question. And again, he denies knowing Jesus. And then finally, this one always makes me laugh a little bit, verse 26, we see a relative of the man whose ear he cut off, who'd actually seen Peter do it, say to him, you are one of his friends, aren't you? And he goes, no, 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 not me, someone else gov." Definitely wasn't me that cut off your your relative's ear. How would you deny that when the guy's actually seen you doing that? But he denies him again. He's He's so deep in the lie that he has to lie again. And then the rooster crows just as Jesus said it would in chapter 13. And that prediction comes straight to Peter's mind. And just nails him. And we know from the other Gospels that at that point Peter runs away from Jesus, from the truth. And we don't see Peter again until after Jesus is raised from the dead. Now, I think we tend to look down our noses a bit at Peter, don't we? I know I do. And possibly even the way I've just described his actions there is a little bit judgmental on Peter, isn't it? It, it kind of puts him, puts him in a bad place. We kind of go, how can he be so weak? How can he be so feeble? You yeah, know, come on, Peter. Where's this hot-headed, brash, hard-on-the-sleeve, Peter you know, the one who would fight for Jesus, the one who gets out of the boat because he wants to walk on water like Jesus, the one who in the garden gets his sword out, that's more like the Peter we know. Well, recently, last year, a certain alcoholic beverage company, which was a Christian company, did a Peter, didn't they? Very publicly. They, the media pressure piled on. They'd released a video, hadn't they, with two Two people having a beer talking about same-sex marriage and they got a lot of grief about being involved in that video. And they made three public statements, ironically, and each one of those statements distanced themselves further and further and further from the gospel until the third statement said that the video in question, quote, conflicted with our core values. It's a Christian company. And honestly, we judge them a bit for that, don't we? We think, come on, stand up for what you believe in. But really, the reality is, it's it's so easy, isn't it? To tell Jesus we'd fight for him, that we'd lay down our life for him, that we'd do anything for him, and then a short time later be denying that we even know him. Sometimes it's when that difficult conversation comes up at work. I'm sure a lot of you have been there, and you're sitting at your desk, and people start bagging out Jesus and Christians. And you just kind of sit there at your desk quietly, and you sink slightly further into your chair, And you stare more intently at your computer screen and you might even put on your headphones so you can't hear what's going on. You pretend not to hear what's going on, hoping that no one will get you involved in that conversation. I've done that. Or when you're at school. Kids, when you're at school and the so-called popular kids, they're picking on you for being a little bit weird because you go to church. Don't worry, they've got it all wrong. When they're picking on you for being the one who isn't interested in picking on the smaller kids in school. Or for being the one who doesn't go around treating the opposite gender like disposable arm candy. Or for being the one who actually works hard and helps those who need help. It's really easy to cave in at those times at school. And I did that. I know I did. So many times I did a Peter. So many times I denied I was a Christian. Either by what I said or by what I did. And even as an adult, I've done that at work. More often by my actions than by my words. And I'm pretty sure I'm not the only person in this room who's done that. But what I love about this passage in John, it's not in today's passage, but we see later on when Jesus rise, is risen from the dead, Peter re- is reinstated by Jesus. Despite all his sin here when he abandons him, when he communes with, with Jesus' enemies, God's grace covers over that for Peter, even that. And the great news for us is his grace covers over it for us too, even when we abandon Jesus and deny him. Response number three, whatever. This is, this is Pilate's response really, isn't it, to Jesus? Pilate has the truth standing right in front of him and he just turns around and goes, yeah, Whatever. He has absolutely no interest in this case, does he? We can see right from the beginning in verse 31, he wants to fob him off. He has taken himself, judge him by your own law. I want nothing to do with this. It's not my problem. But the Jewish leaders, they lay their cards on the table. They want him killed and they can't do it. Only Pilate can. So he reluctantly takes him inside, begins to question him. There's a bit of back and forwards from verse 33 onwards until in verse 37, Jesus says this to him, you are right in saying I am a king, In fact, for this reason I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus puts his cards on the table before Pilate and Pilate's response in three words, what is truth? Whatever, to use one word. And he goes out to the Jews and he says, I can't find any reason. I want to wash my hands of this issue. How about I release one prisoner to you? And the Jews want Barabbas. Pilate's just interested in getting this problem off his plate, isn't he? He's more interested in covering himself and friend an uprising because one of the problems Pilate had, he'd already had two major riots take place in Jerusalem. If he had a third, Caesar would fire him and possibly do worse to him. His job and possibly his life were on the line here with Caesar. Barabbas was actually in jail for killing someone during one of the previous two uprisings and yet he offers him as an alternative to get out. Because he knows if he creates another riot by mishandling the situation, he's going he's to lose his job. So he needs a politically expedient way out of the mess. To him, truth doesn't matter as long as he still has his job and possibly his head by the end of the day. Friends, we all know people who couldn't care less about Jesus, don't we? It's not that they're actively opposed. They're not seeking to do damage to God or to, to tell people that they're wrong. They're just... They don't see any need for God. I mean, we live in a great country with everything we need. What possible need do we have for God? It's actually one of the biggest challenges in our society today, in an affluent society, is people don't see the need for God. They're just like Pilate, whatever. You may even be in that position yourself this morning. And if you are, Jesus' answer to you, or to your friends, if it's people you know, is one you need to hear this morning. Take a look at verse 37 with me. Jesus says this, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. There is no middle ground. You cannot be indifferent when it comes to Jesus. You either listen to him or you don't. It's as simple and as black and white as that. And friends, Jesus came into the world to tell you about the truth, to tell you about God because he wants you to know him. And that leads us on to the fourth response. And I said there's four people and four responses. If you've been counting the people, we've already had four people, haven't we? Because two of them had the first response. And you're probably looking at the passage going, where is this response of acceptance in the passage? There isn't anyone who accepts Jesus. And you're absolutely right. No one in this passage gets it right when it comes to Jesus. The reason I can pull this response out of there is not just me making something up. Jesus tells us the right response. That's where we get it from. The right response is that we're off on the, if we're on the side of truth, we listen to him and accept him. That's what Jesus says in verse 37. So friends, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, or if you're here this morning and you're apathetic towards Jesus, and you don't see the need for him, you've actually had the chance to hear what Jesus has to say in the Bible this morning. And so he calls on you to actually make a decision about who he is. And you have four choices. You can be like the high priest. You can actively oppose Jesus. You can be like Pilate. You have the truth standing right in front of you and just turn around and go, whatever, and get on with your day. You can be like Peter, who ran away from the truth. He couldn't handle it and he ran away because the going got tough. Well, friends, I want to say to you this morning, and it won't be any surprise to you if I'm standing up here to say this, all of them are the wrong response because you see less than 24 hours after the events that we've just looked at took place Jesus was dead Jesus was crucified and by dying he took on himself all the wrong things that we ever have and ever will do he took on himself all the punishment for all those things too and willingly died for you and for me so that we could be made right with God so that we could know the truth that's not the end of the story is it because we don't worship a dead God three days later Jesus rose again and on that day he defeated death and he brought new life to all who believe in him so that we can spend eternity with him in the new heavens and the new earth in communion with the truth with God forever and all of that can be yours if you just listen to Jesus if you confess your sins and you ask him to be king of your life And so if that's you this morning, my prayer for you is that you would know the truth of God's love towards you. A love that sends Jesus to the cross. A love that is so great that he would rather die for you than live without you. Well, for those of us here who have accepted Jesus, the challenge really is it's not a choice between four choices anymore. We've made a decision. We're not actively opposing the gospel. We're not indifferent to the gospel. So it leaves us options three and four, run away or stand firm. And life can be tough, can't it, friends? We can go through a lot of things in life that cause us temptation to flee from Jesus, be it for a little while or for a lot longer. And sometimes we do. Sometimes we run away when going gets tough. But friends, in those moments, the challenge to us is to stand firm in the truth of Jesus. The truth revealed in Jesus and the truth known by us about Jesus. But friends, I want us to be assured we're all going to fall at some point. We're all going to flee at some point from Jesus. Be it for a short time or be it for a long time. But be assured, just as Peter was, that great grace from God is sufficient. God's grace will cover over even those times when we do abandon Jesus. And his forgiveness and his restoration is assured. So if that is you this morning, if you know that you've run away from God, come back to him and he will forgive you and he will restore you to relationship with him because he loves you so much. And as a group, our challenge to finish this morning is to continue to stand firm in the truth, to stand firm in God's grace shown to us in Jesus and to do that as a community because it's much easier as a community so that we can live lives together that testify of the truth of Jesus to the watching world around us.